Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So a preacher who was known for giving fairly long sermons noticed one Sunday morning that while he was preaching, a parishioner got up and left. And he was back by the end of worship, and so the preacher asked him, he said, Hey, I noticed that you left. Is everything okay? And the man said, Oh, everything's fine. I just went to get a haircut. (laughs) And the preacher said, Why didn't you get a haircut before church? And he said, Well, because I didn't need one then. (laughs) This is why I don't tell jokes very often, right? The sermon, right? As we work our way through worship in this summer-long series, we have arrived at the sermon, the longest chunk of time continuously given over to any one event in this hour-or-so-long thing we call worship. And yet, I, I think, despite its general size, that the sermon is a misunderstood element of why we do what we do. It seems to me that, that the sermon, we have both too high and too low of expectations about what this is about. Too high in that in these days with uh, ever-increasingly shorter attention spans, one person talking for 8, 10, 15, 20 minutes or longer, depending on your tradition, well, it's, it's kind of an unusual thing. It's harder and harder to hold people's attention And so we expect a lot out of a sermon, right? That it's funny or entertaining or or heartwarming or educational, something that's informative, something you can grab onto and go home and kind of keep chewing on, which is hard to do. I don't know if you know this, but it's kind of hard to hold y'all's attention for, you know, even five minutes, let alone a little bit longer. Not too much, trust me. If anyone would like to try it, by the way, I, I would love a day off. So if you... Volunteering, it'd be awesome, right? But we we expect that because we live in such an entertainment culture. But at the same time, I think we have far too low of expectations about what this is about. As if it's enough to simply not bore people to death for ten or so minutes, right? As if that's all that we can expect is enough of a dog and pony show that we don't all fall asleep. I mean, if that were the case, then what's the point? My preaching professor, I've told this before, it might sound familiar to you, but he he was fond of saying, oh, so you preached this morning. Did you tell a funny joke? Did people laugh? Did you tell a heartwarming story that jerked a few tears? Did you tell them something interesting, something educational, inform them perhaps of a tidbit of, of biblical history or Martin Luther's theology? That's nice. Too bad your job was to raise the dead. To raise the dead. That's what this is about. That's what this whole thing is about. Now, don't get me wrong. I cannot effect resurrection, right? This is not in the, like, skill set that pastors bring to a congregation. There is no collection of words that I could fumble out on Sunday morning that could possibly raise the dead. But there is a word. There is a word that brings life to that which is dead and breathes light into that which is shrouded in darkness. And that word is Jesus. Jesus, the word made flesh. 
the word of God slipped into skin like ours to bear our burdens, to carry our death to death itself so that we might be free to truly live. That word, that word made flesh is the reason we are here. It is the only reason that we are here. Nothing else. And our work is to simply get out of the way so that that word, that Jesus, can breathe life into that which is dead. Because on any given Sunday, there is at least one person sitting right next to you, somewhere in this room, who is dead inside, who is dying to hear a word of grace, a word of purpose, a word of life. That is the person for whom we have gathered. We're here so that she and anyone else like her this morning might hear this word, this word that brings life. Because this word does. And it does it by sharing our life, too. Because long ago, our God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways. God knows lots of languages, God is God, and God can speak whatever language God wants, right? And so, indeed, God has spoken and continues to speak in many and various ways. In the whispered dreams and visions given to prophets that they might speak truth to power and and challenge those who are in authority to comfort the afflicted and afflict those who are comfortable. God speaks through the piercing serenity of a sunrise, the wind that rustles the leaves in the trees, the babbling of the brooks, the waves lapping on the shores, the giggling of infants. God indeed has spoken through the inspired words of our ancestors, poets and prophets and preachers and people who have, who have inscribed in text their glimpses of God's grace, left behind the songs that we sing, the stories around which we gather. And indeed, I am not naive or arrogant enough to believe that our God is incapable of speaking through the prayers and words and and, and confessions of faith of folks whose religion looks different from our own. Indeed, our own scriptures have images of people who do not share our language for God, and yet God speaks through them. And yet, despite all the many and various ways that God can speak, for us, one word alone makes all the difference. And that is Jesus. For in these last days, to really get the message through, God has spoken to us through a Son, through the Word made flesh, a flesh and blood baby born in Bethlehem, crucified on a cross on Calvary to be present in our deepest suffering and magnify our greatest joy. That is the Word. That is the God. A God not content to sit up in the heavens and dictate to a secretary to sort of shower us with words once in a while, but to truly slip into our skin and become one with us that we might know that no matter where we go, no matter what we face, no matter what is happening in the world, God is fully there. Several years ago, when my family was moving from Wisconsin to Colorado, I've told this story before, but it was on Christmas morning, so there were like two of you here. So, 
if, if that's one of you, you just have to pretend it's new news to you, okay? So a while back, my family was moving from Colorado to Wisconsin. My daughter was nine months old. Now, nine-month-olds are awesome, right? They're adorable, and they're terrifying because they can move, right? Suddenly, they can crawl, and they can pull themselves up, and they can move around, right? And my daughter, at the time, she's changed. She's here. Don't, just don't look at her. So... <laughs> At the time, she had this uncanny ability to find the most dangerous and dirty thing in the room and go straight for it, right? Add to that that she was terrified by the sound of, of tape being ripped off of a packing tape reel, right? What that meant was that packing with her around was just not very productive. And so we sent my wife and my daughter across the country, and I stayed behind, and I packed up the house by myself. But I was lonely, and I missed them. Because every day with children is delightful. She's here. So every day is delightful. No, I mean, for real. But in those first years, and that, especially that first year, right, every day they're so new, something changes, right? And I didn't want to miss that stuff. So, so we tried to Skype, right, to video chat. And it was horrible. Because she could see my face and she could hear my voice. But I wasn't there. And she couldn't get that, right? And so she wanted to touch me and be, be held by me. And so she was clawing at the screen trying to figure out, who is this dad that's not actually here the way he should be? And it was so difficult, we just shut it down. That is precisely what we gather to celebrate. It's that ours is a God who is not content to just be seen and heard, in some distant way, through words sprinkled across the centuries. But ours is a God who shows up as the Word made flesh, close enough to be held and to hold us together. That is the God around which we gather. And the purpose of the sermon, the purpose of worship, the purpose of what we do here is to simply create space so that dying people can have new life breathed into them by that God. That God alone. So this is how this works. You don't have to come with me, but just pretend that you are. Okay? So as you may have noticed as you came in, there's these lines on the floor. Our job, my job, our job together as we do this work together is to get people from the parking lot to the table and back out. That's what we do. From the parking lot to the table where God has made flesh and blood again in bread and wine. The Word made flesh among us to sustain us for life abundant and life eternal. And so we invite you and we welcome you and we invite and welcome all the people who aren't here yet, too, to come in and to come in as you are. So you, you come in to this place from the parking lot as a, as a cancer patient or as an addict or as a family struggling through divorce or as parents celebrating the birth of a, a newborn child or as couples struggling to make it through or as grandparents delighted that their kids are coming to visit. Or as engineers, or Republicans, or Democrats, or, or Cubs fans. You, you come as you are, and we welcome you as you are, because God wants to know you, wants to get to know you, wants to know everything about you, because that's the kind of God we have. But you come in, and all of that stuff gets washed in these waters, dipped in this font. All that you are gets... Water poured over you. 
The water that claims you, the water that names you, the water that calls you beloved, the water that cleanses sin, the water that takes death away. And so you gather as a baptized cancer patient, as a baptized parent struggling to know how to parent their child, as a baptized Republican or Democrat. And that makes a difference. And that water just forms a river of grace and mercy that brings you to this place, this place where this sign is inscribed on your forehead, where this word that was willing to die so that we might truly live is inscribed on our very flesh and goes with us where we go. And it keeps on carrying us up right over to the table. And our job is to just walk up here and get, get, get ourselves out of the way so that God can meet us here. Because in this place, God indeed is made flesh and blood again. Here. Really, actually here for you and for all. And then with literally the word of God on our lips, our tongue, in our bellies, we are washed out the door again. Sent to all the places where we would normally go and maybe some places we haven't yet. And we carry that word, that living presence of God with us to the marriage therapist or to the cancer center or to the pride parade or to the office or the school or the playground or wherever it is that we go. And we carry that word to places where God is already there. But folks just need a word to see that it is real. We carry that word with us to all the places that are literally dying to know God's grace, to know that we can begin again, to know that peace is indeed possible, to know that we can reconcile, to know that there is one who is with us in our suffering, who is with us, who has felt it, who has been there before, and goes with us still. Because, folks, the world is not dying for good jokes. The world is not dying to learn a little bit more about who God might be and what the history is. The world is not dying to be entertained. Indeed, we are entertaining ourselves to death. The world is dying to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified, to know the word of living grace that flows in these waters and fills us at this table. That's the word that we have gathered to hear. And in many and various ways throughout all the ages and today, again, this word has spoken. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.